and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a webinar that I did yesterday, as we're recording, uh, on the customer experience landscape for 2023. Yeah, yeah, your traditional annual um, <laughs> um, landscape webinar. And I'm always really interested, Stephen, because you because you think, has really much changed in the yeah. last year? I always think that when I'm starting it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you sort of recapped with where what you'd sort of positioned in 2022, new norm, trust, systems, customer experience, um, ownership, things like that. And I thought, oh, so 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 what's changed? And then you did point out what had changed an awful lot uh, uh, over the last year. Presumably there'll be a link for for everyone to yeah. just if you haven't seen it, it you know in, in the notes. But but perhaps rather than just going into the content, which you'll do in a little bit, just take a step back. What what thoughts are going through your mind when you're pulling together this big picture and I think one of the things that I really took out of it you know you, you pulled out some very strong precise conclusions in the end but you do take a really good step back as the title would suggest and look at the landscape I try to yeah so everyone uh, at work is always you know asking me a month beforehand oh what, what are you going to talk about in in the webinar <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um so at, at that point I'm still sort of you know hoovering stuff up um, yeah. just basically just create a massive mind map on a, on a piece of A3 paper and then start looking for, for kind of themes. So yeah, it's, it's stuff I stumble across and there's stuff that I consistently put in there. So I'm, I'm always going to put in, you know, the index of consumer sentiment that we do because that, that yeah. tells you how people are feeling. I'm always going to put in UK CSI because that tells you how, you know, UK PLC is doing in terms of customer satisfaction. And then American comparable measures are always interesting to see what's going yeah. on sort of over the pond. Um, I'm very consistent for most of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting. I think how 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 closely consumer sentiment matches and how different customer satisfaction yeah. is uh, is one of the fascinating things about those trends. I think. Yeah, the consumer sentiment one was a pretty parallel line, wasn't it? it, mm. it you know, it, you know, it really was. But um, yeah, just just step back yet again. So 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 what sort of um, what sort of thoughts were going through your mind when you started to pull your mind map together? I almost wanted to avoid talking about kind of digital transformation and, and AI and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then I, I got, found myself <laughs> unable to. Um, and I do think it's really important. I mean, as, you know, as I said in the webinar, really, it, it is, it's, it's not finished by any means. Most organizations have, have made some sort of progress towards shifting online. And, and you know, as, as we said over the last couple of years, some of that's been forced by the pandemic. It's probably mm. accelerated us down that path, um, perhaps before we were, were ready for it. But I don't think we've necessarily got it right. Um, I, I think maybe because we were trying to do it so hurriedly, there's been a lot of kind of copy and pasting of how processes worked in a you know non-digital world and sort of tried to copy that and paste it um, into the digital cloud-based world. And it just doesn't necessarily always work. I think, I think it, you know, you're far better off starting from customer needs, what's going to work in this context for for customers rather than just copying and pasting. Yeah, and I think that was really one of the big things that you brought out and I thought was at a really interesting level in terms of combining AI and people to give the customer the right experience and, as you say, to meet the customer needs. And often those needs were quite interesting. You use the word reassurance a lot, mm. um, where, you could, where you could see a customer need some emotional feedback in terms of the interaction and whilst that doesn't need to be a human it needs to be humanized um and 
I thought one of the really interesting things that you presented was how, you know, health service desks are full up with people who've come off the digital thing because it's not letting them do what they do. And, and, I, and I'm sure you're right that the pandemic and, and people looking for efficiency savings and cost savings have copied and pasted processes, which, which work four times out of five, yeah. but don't work one time out of five or when it's, when it's going off tracks a little bit or the customer needs some emotional part, you know, to, to fulfill their needs. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you should always expect that there's going to be a percentage that are going to fall into that box that, you know, it, it's unusual or the, the customer doesn't get it. Um, or there's always going to be a percentage that, that won't work through the sort of standard flow and, and you need like an escape mechanism for them, but it's not a problem that there is a percentage that won't fit. I think the problem is the is the stuff that is kind of predictably avoidable. Yeah. But we just haven't thought about it from a customer point of view. So I think a lot of the time, to give you a quick example, my dentist had, you know, used to have to go in and sign a bit, you know, three or four bits of paper that said whatever, waiving liability for them drilling the wrong tooth or something, whatever it is, yeah. whenever you go in and sort of see the hygienist, you have to sign something and initial bits and all that. And so through the pandemic, that shifted online, but it's a really to me clunky process where you have to go and fake sign a pdf online it's just that isn't a, a natively digital experience it, it doesn't work very well it's sort of slightly mystifying as to you know whether i need to log in or i don't need to log in and it's yeah. unnecessarily clunky and confusing because it's just trying to in a really sort of um dumb way replicate signing a document that you did in real like, why do i have to sign the document You'll sign it, but it would be nice if there was someone yeah. there with you to reassure you and just to give you that nod and that's right, don't worry, particularly when it's things about your health and stuff like that. It's just, I think there's two things there. So it is lacking the humour, but it's also it's not doing the digital thing well. It's not it's yeah. not a slick online process, which it could be. You know, if if that process was designed by Amazon, it would not work like that. And yeah. it would be far easier, far clearer, and and far better for me as a customer. Not that Amazon are the only people who do digital well, but but I think organisations that are used to sort of thinking natively digitally, they're more often actually starting from from customer needs and what works for customers. Whereas organisations who are used to working sort of offline, they're just copying and pasting a and process, aren't they? Yeah, 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 and it, you know, and they're not copying and pasting the needs bit for the customer in that the the. It's the procedure. Yeah. It's the process which is missing the point. Three yeah. bits of A4 and a clipboard and a pen works well. There's nothing wrong with that <laughs> offline, but you don't need the three bits of paper and a virtual clipboard and a virtual pen when you when you switch to digital. And I think that's the the key thing is don't just take this and put it there. Think about what's going to work there in the digital world. Yeah, no, I think it was really interesting how, how you can the two and the most successful companies are going to combine the two and as we always say and we're actually going to get the benefits of not only great customer satisfaction but great efficiency as well and that's the mm. that's the, the utopia isn't it you will get both out of it if you come from the customer needs perspective the big thing from my perspective is that you actually the idea that you can have an efficient process that doesn't work for customers is a myth because if it doesn't work for customers <laughs> it will be inefficient because they won't get through it well and then they'll phone you up and then you have all this failure demand coming in so actually an efficient process has to be built around customer needs that's that's how you make something efficient yeah yeah absolutely that's quite wise words from you that Stephen. yeah you should do a you should do a, a webinar on it <laughs> um, <laughs> the um the beginning of the webinar 
was as de depressing as I thought it was going to be <laughs> <laughs> um, as uh, as you go into the you know the consumer sentiment being the lowest it's ever been and lower than sort of in the pandemic the cost of living crisis and some really interesting points about how it's not evenly distributed but but some like some interesting little quirks in that as well oh, some some horrible facts about you know 20 percent of people living in poverty and the increase in uk adults you know going into vulnerability which alters customer needs tremendously mm. you know and you know for organizations who think they know the customer today that customer is going to be absolutely changing yeah as are their employees. Um, and I thought you brought out the employee side of making, you know, of how you're treating, you know, how you look after employees who are who, who are going down that. I mean, perhaps the positiveness of it is it might not be as long lived as, as we thought, but, but, but you certainly then talked quite a lot about resilience, which I thought was a really good word. And on those levels of your organization, you know, your customers, your employees, I thought that was a really poignant area and something where organizations need to react now even though it's not clear what you need to do yeah yeah you know, i mentioned this mckinsey report about resilience mm -hmm. and really their their key point i think is you have to act decisively at the right moment both on the way into a crisis and the way out of a crisis in in order to sort of um, secure an advantage and, and you know and survive but also to you know outperform the competition and by de well, not by definition, but, but most of the time, it's not clear what the right moment is or what the right action is, but you still have to do it. So that, that seems like a paradox, doesn't it? How can I decisively take an action when I don't know what the right thing to do is or, or when to do it? But yeah. I think, you know, the, the two things, like, partly, you know, business is about risk and like you have to be prepared to take some risk sometimes. And partly it is about taking that more kind of scenario planning approach. So what if it turns out yeah, let's say inflation quickly comes down in the summer. So, you know, by summer 2023, inflation is down to, I don't know, four or five percent. What does that look like for us and, and the world? What if inflation stays high? What what so if you if you run those kind of different scenarios, figure out what you think is most likely, figure out what the kind of up and down sides of each of those scenarios and, and how you want to be positioned in each of those scenarios, I think it helps. It, it still it still doesn't make it easy or or guaranteed, but I think that thinking through those scenarios helps to make those decisions yeah strategically and i think you know we would all always and you know from the research background as well you know it, it's about taking actions and you know what if there's a bit of water coming in your boat it's probably worth trying to get that water out of your boat now whether you use your hands a bucket and yeah probably good if someone could strategically look at where it's coming in stop it coming in and things like that but doing nothing is not a great plan um, at all, at all, at all. And I've, it needs to be more considered than that. But I, I, I think, um, I mean, we often get asked the question, when's the right time to do a survey? And there isn't a right time. You know, just get on, do it, see what it's telling you, and then get on and do stuff. You know, it's as practical as that, really. It is it's interesting, though. You see that probably more with employee research and customer research. People say, we now's not a good time because we've just been through a restructure so you know, we're never going to do this survey because it, it, if you're waiting for a, a time, for a time yeah. of you know stability it is not ever going to yeah. be that time yeah and probably a really good time to do it because you'll find out what people Absolutely. really think at a moment that matters yeah. when you can do some actions to address and help and all, and all those sort of things yeah i mean you obviously talked a, a, a lot about ai automation chat gpt as well and and the you know the impact that that was all going to uh, um, um to have um 
just was going to pick up a bit a little bit on phrase you used humanity debt humanity debt do you just want to explain that a little bit the point i was making i suppose is that organizations are very focused on technical debt which is you know understandable and, and, and probably right in a lot of cases you know we have probably a lot a lot of us have probably been slow to invest when we should have done and and are sort of maybe trying to play catch up on the technical or technology side but now in that in the rush to move down that road i think people are forgetting the human um in that so i think automation is really important for, for really for every organization even small ones um so we had a comment after the webinar from someone who, who worked for quite a small organization saying yeah. essentially that whole bit was irrelevant to me because we're only a small bit small organization and I totally get where it's coming from. You know, it's you know, I'm not expecting them to be Amazon or Apple or something. Yeah. But I do think automation in some form should be in every single organization in the right places. And it, it can't do everything. It can't replace everything that people do. And, and you shouldn't want it to. But it can enable people to work better and more efficiently. And it can take over some of the tasks that people are currently doing. Uh, and that's that it just needs a, a you know, you need your own strategy for which of these tasks yeah. should be rules-based, which of these tasks need a machine learning approach, which of these tasks need a human, and actually what kind of combination is going to work. And in most cases, you need a bit of bit of all of them, probably. Some small organizations could really benefit the most because it frees up the limited number of people to do the things that people can only do and where they can really make make a, a difference. I, th I think it's, a, I think it's a, a way of thinking, which probably moves us really to, to to your conclusion about understanding customers needs which is a phrase that we have said lots and lots of time and you'd moved on to the doing best what matters most to those who matter most just want to uh, elaborate on, on on where you were what your mind was going through there yeah I mean it, it's something we've said a lot over the years isn't it but for me it's really important when you're thinking about what customer research and insight gives you, it's really important to see it in two separate ways. There's a sort of strategic level and the operational level. Um, we sometimes talk about rela relationship and event-driven surveys, but it's yeah. a bit deeper than that. I think there's, what are we using this research for? Are we using it to improve you know, a particular journey, a particular touch point, a particular interaction with a customer, or are we using it to learn and inform bigger picture strategic decisions. Yeah. And I think you, you always need both of those things and they, they should speak to each other. But I think that, you know, the doing best what matters most applies at both. So, you know, we should focus on the things that matter to our customers. To those who matter most is really about that strategic angle. It's about which kind of customers are we trying to attract and keep hold of. And that's, you know, the, the heart of a loyalty strategy is understanding who do we want our customers to be I would tend to think there's sort of three boxes that you should think about. Yeah. Customers you, you really want, your perfect customers, customers yeah. you're quite happy to do business with, and customers you don't want. And not everyone gets to choose the, the customers we don't want. Some of us, you know, have to provide a service to, to people whether or not we might want to, but yeah. I get that. But broadly speaking, I think that's a useful framework to say, who are we really going after? And if you know who your ideal customers are, uh, you can build a proposition that's tailored around their needs. And if it works for people in the middle box, that's cool. But it's the people in the ideal customer box that we're building our business around. Yeah, you'd used, um, and I, I don't think you did this on purpose, but you'd used the word valuable twice when you were in, in that part, which I thought was a really good way of thinking of it in terms of who's your most valuable customers, 
not necessarily your biggest, not necessarily mm. those who spend the most with you, perhaps even not your most profitable. You, you, you know, who's your most valuable customers and what do they value? And I thought that was quite an interesting way of, of doing it because we cut, we, you know, customer needs is, is, is a phrase. But then if you say, what do they value in their relationship with you? I think in my mind that that's sort of a, a bit like um, needs on adrenaline. <laughs> mm. um, it's, it, it, there's a bit more than its needs. It, it's, it's diving a bit deeper into, yeah. in, into it. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think there's needs tends to, to sound very functional, doesn't it? It tends yeah, to you know, I need, and that's it. What I'm getting I need at, the right yeah. thing on time at the right price, and and that's all true. Like you, you know, you, you have to deliver the right. Yeah, thing that's the givens. The right that's and, the. It is very much the yeah. givens. Yeah. So, I think what do customers value about their relationship with you, and if you can articulate that, and research is the way to sort of surface that. Um, usually, qualitative research is where you get that kind of depth. Then you can build a lot of that into and this is what i was trying to talk about with humanizing the digital experience like if you understand who your customers are and what kind of relationship they're looking for what kind of interaction they're looking for that can really help you with little things like the way you word that digital journey so all the little bits of microcopy you know yeah. on every step of that journey how are you writing that what tone of voice are you using all of that can be informed by an understanding or should be informed by an understanding of who your ideal customer is and how they want to be spoken to and who what kind of relationship they want with you it was a really interesting webinar as usual so i suppose just in terms of pulling out some of your you know your really high level conclusions and would really encourage people to to, to listen to the webinar who haven't you were talking about resilience long-term thinking things can only get better at what, which point I nearly started dancing around and was thinking of a particular song, but you were way too professional to go down that, um, that route. But if there was two, three takeout messages, what, what, what would they be, Stephen? I think for me, it is that, that idea of thinking long-term and it, all of these things are connected really for me. So if you've got that lo idea of the loyalty strategy, you know, we're going to succeed in the long run by finding and keeping the kind of customers who reward you know good experiences with loyalty and that pays off in the long run so these ideas of customer lifetime value and Reichel's new earned growth rate material you know these new sort of ways of thinking about the financial return um, yeah. for creating a good customer experience those things all join together don't they so that loyalty strategy the long-term thinking particularly when you're coming into a, a time of sort of financial turmoil to kind of stay true to that and say like, yeah okay you you do have to survive make sure if you're cutting costs you don't cut costs on the things that customers really really value what are the most important things and make sure you still deliver those to slightly interject on your wrapping up conclusion there you remind me in terms of using the phrase long term and i like the long-term thinking but i don't think that necessarily needs to be long term in time it's a thinking process i think if the pandemic the digitalization has told us anything do you know what Things happen really quickly now and even quicker. And and, and sometimes in our, our world, you know, well, you, you know, to get the returns, we're looking three, four, five years down the line. Uh, duh, 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 is it worth it? And, you, you know, and we've got, you know, shareholders and all that sort of background. Whereas I think the world is just, you know, long term in some businesses is 18 months. You know, I think it's a mindset to some degree. Um, but, but the thinking of what you're valuing, 
I think, is what it is. Just um, argue with me if you're thinking um, right or wrong. I no, I basically agree with that. I think I gave that example of Southwest Airlines, right? I thought there was that really yeah. interesting sort of Twitter from an organisation that was a pinnacle, you know, twenty years yeah, ago. Absolutely right. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, the, I'm not saying this is necessarily the only truth, but the 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 pilot story was basically, you know, we used to be totally customer focused, very focused, and and the chief exec was out there on the floor, walking around, understood how to run an airline, was talking to people, dot dot, you know, focused yeah. on the operational, which ironically is actually more long term, which we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah, and then. Then there was a, a chief exec who, again, this is all according to you know one pilot, so it's not necessarily yeah. totally true. But then there was a chief exec who was very focused on short-term profit, so wasn't investing in specifically new systems. So yeah. that's a good example, I think, of something a decision that looks good in short-term profit and loss terms because you know this quarter's yeah. profit looks better because we haven't spent lots of money on a new IT system. Yeah. And, maybe next quarters and maybe the quarters after that but then there's a disaster and you know pr debacle stra- loads of customers stranded at home it probably costs us what well, certainly costs us lots of money in that in that quarter and actually well the, the chief exec who who failed to invest is long gone you know presumably with all the plaudits for making lots of profit quarter <laughs> on quarter but shoring up problems for the future and i think that what that reveals is the you know, the focus that I think public companies almost inevitably have on this quarter's profit is something you have to try and overcome to build a long-term successful business because otherwise you're almost inevitably failing to invest and that will be shoring up problems for the future. Completely agree. Completely agree. So in summary, you managed to find an awful lot of things that are going to be different this year. Again, would encourage people to listen to it and i know you're very keen and very available to take questions on it because i suspect it it raises a lot of profiles for different a lot of questions for different people different sectors with different thoughts so your contact information is at the end there and i know you'd encourage people to to get in contact um, with you and to you know to discuss to debate uh, and, and to move the thinking forward Absolutely, yeah. So, so uh, as ever, if you want to get in touch to, to ask me anything or tell me I've got it wrong <laughs> or um, you know give your own perspective, then yeah, you can get you can find us on Twitter uh, at TLF Research or I'm at S Hampshire, um, and you can find you know all the other information, all the free stuff we do at TLFresearch.com. Bye, everyone.